Good morning. I think the kids are now dismissed. Kindergarten to fifth grade can head to the back. Um, this morning we'll be talking about God's great love and power. And as we've been doing during this remembrance series, we've been talking about things that God wants us to remember and hold on to. And in that vein, as we think about God's great love and power, I was reminded by um, <laughs> something I hold on to, something I remember. It's probably one of my favorite lines in one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands, right? Um, it's a really, really great line. The, 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 the name of the song doesn't really strike you as like a great song because it's called Murder in the City. Uh, but really, it's a song about family, about belonging, and about love. And what does a father's love looks like? And at the end of the song, um, you have the son who's singing alongside his brother, um, the vet brothers, and, and he talks about how, you know, the whole song's about the love that's been given to him through his parents, right? And now as he thinks about the love that he wants to pass on to his children, he says, always remember there was nothing worth sharing like the love that lets us share our name. As I thought about God's love for us this morning, I'm reminded, and this is one of the things I hold on to in this song, is that when we identify as Christ followers, as Christians, as Christ ones, we are taking on the name of Christ. And if we are taking on the name of Christ and we're belonging in Christ and, and we're, we're not only in Christ's family, but we are Christ's family, always remember there's nothing worth sharing like the love that lets us share our name. The fact that we follow Christ is all united in the fact that Jesus gave himself for us. As we think about God's great love and power, may we be reminded that we have been blessed by God to go and be a blessing, that we've been gifted by God to go and be a gift, that we've been loved by God to go and love, that we've been given light by God to go and be light. Always remember, there's nothing worth sharing like the love that lets us share our name as Christians. We're going to be continuing on ending, actually, our Remembrance series this week. And in this whole series, we've been talking about how God reveals himself. We first focus on how God reveals himself in the Old Testament. And in the last six weeks, we've been talking about how God has revealed himself in the New Testament. One of the blessings of our God is that our God wants to be revealed. Our God wants to be known. We may not understand all the mysteries of God, but you will always understand enough of God to not only help you to today, but to help you through tomorrow. And as you look back and you remember, Remember all the things that God has been, it'll just keep spurring you on and spurring you on. Because God wants to be revealed and God calls us to remember. And the reason he calls us to remember is because honestly, we're so easy and quick to forget. We're so easy to focus on the now, to look down and to look all around us when God wants us to be consistently looking back at his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy, his love. Because when we look back at how God's been faithful, it helps us today, and again, it propels us forward. And God calls us to remember not just in the scripture, but also in our life. And God wants to be known and shows up, and we see this all over. God says it in the scriptures. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet the voice of creation goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of their world. God wants to be revealed and is revealed all throughout the world. Romans, Paul writes this, he says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God reveals himself through his creation. And it's not just the trees and the stars, it's us. 
God reveals himself through his people. And the writer of the Hebrews picks up on this when, when I was going to say she, but I don't want to start too much trouble this morning. But there's some of us who believe the writer of Hebrews was a woman. That's why we don't give her credit. But when the writer of Hebrews says it, in Hebrews 1 to 3, she says, God reveals himself not only through creation, not only through people, but through these prophets, right? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of all of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So God who wants to be revealed, reveals who God is through creation, reveals who God is through the people, reveals who God is through the prophets. God wants to be revealed. But of all the revelations of God that we have, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, and Paul picks this up in his epistles too, that if we want to most clearly see God, we have to go to Jesus. If we want the most clear picture of God we can have on this side of heaven, we have to go to Jesus. So it's why when we're talking about God revealed in the New Testament, when we said, remember who I am, it's Jesus stepping up to the microphone, so to speak, and say, you know that God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God who was with you, the God who is with you, the God who will be with you, the God who's with you in this now, that is me. I am, says Jesus. That's why when we said, remember what God has done, we talk about Jesus' mission, that he came to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of Jubilee, to prove and live out the gospel of Christ. We talked about, remember when I have saved, and we'll actually pick up on this because we're doing the second half of this this morning. We went back to Jesus and Nicodemus when Jesus says to the teacher of Israel, you may be the teacher of Israel, but you do not understand you must be born again. And this idea of born again wasn't just a one-time decision. It was a lifetime commitment of submission, surrendering to the Spirit, keeping your eyes on Jesus, and resting in the Father's love. And when we continue the last week, we, or a couple weeks ago, we said, remember why that God has done all this? And it's simple, because God loves you and God has chosen you. He may be the God of the universe. He may be the God of all the world. And his God may seem automatic to all of you. But when it comes to you individually, God chose you, God loved you, and God will particularly love you the way you need to be loved. And then last week, we went back to Calvary's tree, and we talked about how all these critical moments in the scripture, where, where, where Abraham and Isaac happens, and we get this idea that the greatest love might be to give up your special son. And we, we, we moved it on to where the temple was built, where David bought Aaron's threshing floor, and he says, I will worship God, but I won't do it with that which cost me nothing. And then Solomon builds the temple in all his glory, and Israel sits back and says, wow, this is wonderful. God is here. And God says, no, Israel, wow, I am here, but I have called you to be a house of prayer for all the nations, and I've called you to be the light of the world. Again, picking up on the scriptural theme that if we're loved, we're meant to love. If we're gifted, we're meant to give our gifts. If we're given light, we're meant to share our light. And that same spot, that same temple mount, is where Jesus is driven out of the city, where he's naked, where he's hungry, where he's broken, where he's beaten, where he's imprisoned by Rome, where he's treated as a stranger in not only the world he created, but the land and the people he's from. And he's pushed on Calvary's tree. And he dies for you and me. And he dies for the world. But when we remember where Jesus died, it brings us all to this morning about the how and the why. And it's all wrapped up in simply this. Jesus goes to Calvary's tree 
because of God's love for the world. I love John 3.16, but I always have to remind us, because I grew up thinking John 3.16 was about me. For God so loved me. But if we go to the actual words that it says, we must be reminded when Jesus goes to Calvary Tree, yes, it's about you, but it's not only about you. Yes, it's about us in this room or watching online, but it's not only about us. It's not about us in Harrisburg, not about us in Pennsylvania. It's not about us in America. It's not about us in the world. It's not even about all of us who's living now. It's about the world, the redemptive power of God from the beginning of creation, from the moment of sin to the final coronation when Jesus comes again. For God so loved the world, the world, the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 14 to 21. John 3, 14 to 21. Starting at verses 14, you can also follow up front. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ, the one who was lifted up and even in his suffering is exalted, the one who goes to Calvary's tree to die for the world. We thank you for your great love, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your great love, our Father, that love for you is action, that love for you is agape and hesed, love for you is working for our good, Work, love for you is giving your son for us. Love for you is, is having the Godhead not necessarily separated, but sacrificing your one and only, your special son, the son of God and the son of man, so that we can enter in and come back into your family and be one with you today, tomorrow, forever. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that love for you is revealing light to us, for calling us to the plan of the Father, for calling us and reminding us of the work of Jesus, that the gospel is not just him dying on the cross, but it's God leaving heaven to come to earth. It's God walking this earth and showing us how to live in love in a way to please God. That yes, it's God going up the Calvary's tree and dying, but the light that you revealed to us, that the work was finished, the work was done, and that God raised him on the third day. And a reminder that that Jesus that we worship, the Jesus we serve, has now been ascended into heaven, sits at God's mighty right hand, stands before the Father as our mediator on our behalf. We thank you for the light of your revelation, Holy Spirit. And we thank you now for this chance to go back to this familiar passage and to hear again from you as you speak into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, be with us and help us to know that we have been blessed, so blessed, so that we can be a blessing that we have been gifted, so gifted, so that we can be gifts to this world. And yes, Lord, that we have been loved, so loved, so that we can go and love our world. In your holy and precious name, amen.
So the first half of this passage that we covered a couple weeks ago introduces us to Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a scholar. He's this Pharisee. He's rich. He's well-known. Yet he comes to this little rabbi who's studying out his ministry at night. And what's beautiful about this passage is John is this wonderful writer, and he goes with these thematic uh, of light versus dark, light versus dark, and he brings that up all throughout the passage. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark of night and leaves with the light of the world. And Nicodemus, as he comes to Jesus, you know, he's busy, and, and maybe he's too, too busy to study during the day, but he comes to Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, I love this, he acknowledges Jesus as not just a rabbi or a teacher, but a rabbi that's come from God. And if you remember in the earlier passage, Nicodemus says, you know, we know you. We know that you're from God because we've seen the signs through you. And the challenge to all of us is can our coworkers say the same? Can our neighbors say the same? Can our children say the same? Can the people who know us and interact with us say the same by interacting with us? When they look at us, do they say, I know you're from God because I've seen the signs by how you live, by how you love, by how much you've been a blessing and a gift to me. Can our neighbors say the same thing? There's no indication that Nicodemus had a personal relationship with Jesus before this conversation, yet he's able to look at Jesus and says, I know you are from God. That's your challenge for the week, that everyone may know that you are from God by how you live and by how you love. And then Jesus says, well, Nicodemus, that's all great. You know I'm from God and you know the signs, but here's the thing, Nicodemus. You, yes, you, you have to be born again to even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, that's impossible. I'm a, I'm a grown man. Like, what am I supposed to do, crawl up into my, my mother's womb? That's not possible. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. How can you, the teacher of Israel, not know what it means to be born again? And you see, this wasn't a new concept to Nicodemus. In the Jewish tradition and culture, even till today, when you come into Judaism, especially if you're not born into it. If you come and you choose to adopt Judaism as your faith, as your religion, guess what they call you? They call you born again. In that culture back then, if you were adopted into a Roman family and your paterfamilias or the father of the family welcomed you in as a daughter or welcomed you as a son, guess what they called you? They called you born again. Jesus is not introducing new concepts to Nicodemus. Just like the love of God may not be new to us, but we always need more understanding of it. Amen? And Jesus goes back to Nicodemus and says, no, 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 no. To be born again, Nicodemus, is to know the Son of Man. It's to know I bridge heaven and earth. It's to know that I've come to connect the dots. It's to know that, yes, you're choosing to follow God, but you're choosing to surrender to the Holy Spirit every moment, every day, every minute, every second of your life. You're choosing to surrender to the Spirit. You're also choosing then to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You're growing you're being light to your world. So born again isn't a one-time decision. It's a lifetime surrender and submission. It's a lifetime working and literally giving your life to God, to be used by God, to be the light of the world. And then when we get to our passage this morning, what's interesting to me is that Jesus then, after he lays down the foundation of being born again, he starts off like every good teacher. And I say this, Jesus is a genius. I know it's shocking to you, but it's always shocking to me. But he's a genius because as a teacher, he almost will always start from a concept you already understood. Nicodemus should have understood born again, but he still taught it to him. Nicodemus also should have known about the serpents in the desert. So that's where Jesus begins in this passage. Jesus talks about, he takes Nicodemus from born again, back to the Exodus, back to the wilderness, to a story that's so familiar to Jews even till today. 
Because you see in the Exodus, like we're, we're, we don't do this, right? Just the people of the Bible do this. But these are the people in the Old Testament do this. We're Christians. We don't do this. But we, they were complaining about how hard life is. They were complaining about not, not really knowing if God loved them or, or if God was there. They were complaining time and time again. And they would complain to Moses and Moses would take it to God. And God would be like, look at all the things I've done for you. I've brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I've shown my presence by night and by day. I've provided manna for you every single day. I've led you through this wilderness even though you keep complaining. And God gets to a point where he says, if you keep complaining and not trusting me, there will be consequences. And so that's what happens in this story in Exodus, where the people complain and God warns them and God warns them, but finally there's punishment. And the punishment is God literally sends snakes, and the snakes are biting the people. And in this story, what's fascinating is, is uh, the people complain, they cry out to God. But what I love about this story is when I read this as a kid, I'm like, man, God seems kind of messed up. Like, I complain all the time, right? Like, I'm glad he doesn't send snakes for me. What's interesting about this story is as they cry out to God, he hears them. And I think what we miss in this story, at least what I missed for years, is that God's judgment is only one side of the story, and God's mercy is the other side of the story, and they always go together. Because as the people cry out, God says, Moses, I want you to make a snake on a graven image. I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift it up to the sky. I want every single person, as they stop looking down, this is what we've been talking, right? As they stop looking around, right? As they look up, as they look up, as they look up, they will be healed. Nicodemus should have known this. In our culture, it's fascinating to me that even in 2021, if you look at classic ambulance logos, what do they have? A snake on a pole. And it comes from this Exodus story. And it comes from this reminder that if we look up, that if we trust God, we can look up and live. And Jesus pulls back to this story. He says, just as the sun, just as the, 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 the snake was, just as the, the oh, I'm going to read it. I'm messing it up. I was too excited. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Jesus goes back to the Exodus and says this to Nicodemus. Remember, when the people looked down and around because of their sin, they only had death. But just as God sent those snakes, God sends salvation. Because yes, sin is serious and God's judgment is serious. But God's mercy and love is also right there. And if you're willing to not look down and around, if you're willing to look up, God can not only heal, but the salvation can come. And Jesus takes that same thing and builds on it and says, just like Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, I will be lifted up. And the idea here is when we look up to Christ, we can live eternally. What's interesting in the Greek is that the word for lifted up means exalted. I think that's very interesting in how we understand the cross. There's two things I think we're going to be pushed on, at least continually pushed on when we think about the cross. The cross is not just about God's mercy. It's also about God's love. It's not just about God's judgment. It's about God's grace. Because where there's judgment of God, the love of God is also right there. And the second thing is, we think of the cross as Christ's great suffering. Jesus himself thinks of it as what? My exaltation. I think that's important because there's so many people who says like, oh, look at God. He, he just cosmically abuses Jesus and, and he puts the punishment of Jesus on it. What did Jesus say the cross was? It's my exaltation. 
It's my love for you. That's how God defines the cross because Jesus knows and wants us to know that the judgment of God is real, but not as real or just as real maybe is a better way to say it as the love of God. The cross is not just about punishment. It's about Jesus being lifted up about Jesus being exalted, about God's love being poured in to us. And so we learn from that that Jesus bases our salvation not on suffering, not even on his own suffering, but on love. And this is why he says to Nicodemus, and this is why we have the most famous verse in the Bible that says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only his special son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A better reading of the Greek wouldn't say, for God so loved the world. It would actually say what? This is how God has loved the world. This is how God has loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. And what I love about this is that John, who is, I think, Jesus' best friend, picks up on this, not just in the Gospel of John, but also in the epistles. He picks it up again in 1 John 4, 9 and 10 and says it like this. This is how God showed his love among us. How? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 3, 16, the opposite of John 3, 16, right? He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus bases your salvation, the salvation of the world, the making of shalom back in this world, not based on suffering, but based on love. And we get through the rest of our passage this morning. After he does John 3.16, he talks about condemnation, about whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him stands condemned already. And Jesus' condemnation is not based on your sin, but on your lack of faith. I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. Because even those of us who follow Jesus, we think we can mess up bad enough that God doesn't love us anymore or God doesn't really care. Jesus' condemnation isn't based on how messed up you are or you think you are. It's not even based on the worst thing you've done or the worst thing you think you've done. It's not even based on the darkness that just you can't seem to shake. Your condemnation is not based on your sin. Because on Calvary's cross, he took care of your sin forever. Your condemnation, according to Jesus, to Nicodemus, to the world, to all of us, is whether or not you believe in him. It's whether or not you choose to follow him. It's whether or not you're willing to come to him. That's what your condemnation is based on. And there's so many of us, especially those of us who've been in the faith for years, who think that we're condemned when Jesus says, I've set you free. Who think we'll never be good enough when Jesus says, you're so good, I died for you. Your condemnation is not based on your sin. Your condemnation is based on whether or not you believe that Jesus can take care of that sin. And then John concludes the passage with this conversation where Jesus bases our living in this life not on condemnation, not on sin, not on darkness, but on light. He says light has come in the form of Jesus, but we have to know that the world we live in, people love darkness. That evil people hate light because light will expose that darkness. But yet we are to live by the light. That we are to live by the truth. And the truth is coming into the light. The truth is being born again. Being born again is what? Surrendering to the Spirit. 
every moment, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, surrendering to the Spirit, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, because just as he was exalted on Calvary's tree, when we look up, we can enter in to God's salvation. But it's also trusting the Father to not only transform you into the image of the Son, transform you into who God desires you to be, but resting in the Father's love. So this morning, as we think through and remember how God has saved us, the answer is simple, by his great love and by his great power. But it's five or six things I want us to remember. And I think Jesus sums it in these passages, but he's a lot more concise than I am. So this is what I came up with. Hopefully, I think it's with the Spirit's help. But these are the six things I want us to hold on to as we look through these verses, maybe even through this week as you read and come back to it. The first one is that God takes sin very seriously. And so must we. I think there's so much that we'd love to run to the grace and love of God. But God takes sin very seriously. And the reason God takes sin very seriously is because it breaks his law, yes. It's because it's us falling short, yes. It's because it's it's us separating us from ourselves and and separating us from God, yes. But I think Dennis Edwards has one of the best definitions of sin, and I want to read it to you. I shared it a couple weeks ago, and he says it like this. He says, sin is not only the evil thoughts and deeds that individuals commit. Sin is the pervasive power that damages and corrupts God's creation. The reason God takes sin so seriously is because sin ruins shalom. It ruins peace. Peace between you and God. Peace between you and one another. Peace between you and yourself. Peace between you and creation. That's why God takes sin so seriously because sin only breeds separation from God. But as holy as God is and as strong as God's judgment is against sin, Right where the judgment is, the mercy always meets. So while sin breaks shalom and and, and warrants God's judgment, on the cross we're reminded that love brings shalom too. That while we can go to the cross and see God's judgment, we can also go to the cross and see God's mercy. It's what the, the ancient Hebrews called hesed and what the New Testament Christian called agape. And again, it's this idea of God's love for me that works for my good. God's love for me that will do the best for me always. God's love for me that will love the essence of who I am while transforming into who Jesus is. God's love and mercy always meets. So while sin breaks shalom, God's great power and God's great love brings peace with God through Jesus. Brings peace with creation. We may not see it until the coming down of heaven and earth when Jesus comes again, but God's love will bring peace with creation. But what I love about this concept of eternal life, a lot of times we think about it in the life to come. And we think about the life to come as when we die. But remember what Jesus says time and time again. The number one thing Jesus talked about was what? The kingdom. Not love, the kingdom. And what did Jesus want us to understand about the kingdom? It's coming, but it's also already here. So when we talk about eternal life, Jesus is saying to us, you don't just have to dream about the life to come. When you believe in me, you start tasting that life to come today. Eternal life is available to you today. Transformation is available to you today. So Jesus says, yes, sin may break shalom, but I've come to set it right. I've come to bring peace with yourself. How many of us need peace with ourselves this morning? 
come to the cross. I've come to bring peace with you and your neighbor, you and your sister, you and your brother. How many of us need reconciliation this morning? Jesus has come to the cross. I've come to bring peace to this world. And how many of us ache for peace as we read stories about what's happening in Palestine, as we hear stories about what's happening in Colombia, all over Africa, as we read stories about a war, a world on fire, about what's happening in Yemen, about what's happening all over the world. We ache for peace. And Jesus says, take that to the cross. Because I will bring peace and shalom to all creation as well. And I think that's the beauty of our Jesus. Is that Jews tend to think that God is their God and they own God. And it's rightfully so because he chose them in the Old Testament. But ever since the beginning of the world, you see these traces where God says, no, the plan is always for the world. The plan is always for the world. So this morning, we celebrate that our Jesus on Calvary's tree comes not just for Israel, but for Jew and Gentile. Comes not just for us as Americans, but for South Americans, for Australians, for Africans, for Asians. That's who our God is for. So when we say John 3.16, let it not just be for God so loved me, but let it be for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For our God so loved our world. God sends Israel, God sends Jesus, not just for Israel, not just for you, but for the world. And I think when we go to the cross, and as we're learning and we're committing our lives to submit to the Spirit, I think it's something that was really helpful for me this week. And that is that the Spirit invites you to believe. The Spirit's not just this revealer of light, but the Spirit invites you to believe always. It's not just a one-time invitation. You know, I was watching a movie. One of my um, really good friends has been trying to get me to watch this TV show, and I was just like, I don't have time for this, you know? But I started this week watching it. It's Shadow and Bone on Netflix. You can check it out, right? But there was a second episode that got me. Because in the episode, there's, there's this great darkness that they have to go through, and I'm a sucker for anything that seems somewhat spiritual. And even if it's not, I will find it. I will find the spiritual component of everything, right? But this one's pretty easy to see. But there's this darkness that's hovering over the land, and, and no one can escape it, and everyone's struggling through it. And, and the main character has this line where she says, you know, the only way out is through. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, oh, that'll preach. You know? And then I, I'm like, this is Hollywood. There's no way this is original. So I remember looking up the, third, the, the, the phrase, the only way out is through. And it comes from this Robert Frost poem which is actually called a servant of servants, which again, sometimes you don't have to look too hard to find spiritual components, right? Like that's actually a line taken from the Bible, all right? And it's actually taken about Noah and Ham and his son. So now I'm like all oh, like buzzing, where is this going, right? But as I read through the poem by Frost, and I read a bunch of commentaries trying to figure out what, because no one knows what's happening in this poem. Like it's just this lady's just rambling, right? And everyone has these hot takes on what it means. But as I kept coming back to this idea that the only way out is through, I heard the Spirit just whispering this to me, that there's some of us who think the darkness is too overwhelming. There's some of us who the darkness is too overwhelming. There's some of us who have this, this, this darkness on our spirit, on our person, on our character, that we just can't shake off. There's some of us who are defined and struggling by our trauma, by our addictions, by our past, by all the things we've done wrong, by all the ways we fall short. And I heard the Spirit whisper to me, this is your invitation to believe. 
Because if you believe in me, the only way out of that darkness is through me. Because what God wants us to do and what the Spirit wants us to be reminded of is our faith. Remember your faith. Whatever the darkness is, remember how God has been faithful to you. Whatever the struggle is, remember how God has been there for you. Remember the people God's blessed you with. Remember the blessings God's given you. Remember all that God has done. Because the only way out of any darkness is through the light. And who is the light? But Jesus Christ. And I love that Jesus in this passage kind of ends it up with two things. That if you look up, you will live. And I'm always a fan when Jesus agrees with me. I don't know about you. You may think the life is about you agreeing with Jesus, but I'm a fan when Jesus agrees with me. In the beginning of this series, we said it's important that when we remember, it's not just about looking around and looking at our situation. It's about what? Looking back and looking up. So I love when Jesus agrees with me that whatever you're going through this morning, don't just spend your energies looking around. Don't just put your time looking at everything that's wrong all around you, inside of you. Take time this week to look back at God's faithfulness, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's compassion, God's patience, God's grace, God's shalom, the work that God has done. And all of those should fill you up and help you to maybe get through the next minute, the next second, the next day, the next week. But as you look back, as you're pushed forward by those memories of God's faithfulness, never ever take your eyes off the cross of Jesus. Remembering that yes, the cross is where God's love is shown to us. Because God's great love and power is available to all of us today. And if we go back to John, the same one who's talking about light and dark, and we go back to John, the same one who says God's love is defined by him sending Jesus. Jesus' love is, by, is defined by him putting his life down for us. John also wants us to know that from Genesis to Revelation, we are blessed to be a blessing. We're gifted to be gifts. We're given light to be light. We are loved to love. In 1 John 4, 11, he says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What a beautiful promise. God lives in us when we love and God's love that's great and so powerful is made complete in you. In 1 John 3, 17 and 18, he makes it more practical. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity, has no compassion, has no hesed, has no agape, has no love on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And then comes my favorite verse in all the scriptures. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I want to invite up the worship team. We're going to end our service by singing this last song about how God made a way. And we know that the way was Jesus Christ. But as we think about God's great love and mercy and power this morning, may we be reminded that yes, our God takes sin seriously, but he takes it so seriously that he sent his love through Jesus Christ. May we be reminded that Jesus has come not just for me, not just for you, not just for this room, but for the world. And that Jesus has come to bring God's peace so that we can have peace with God, with one another, 
so that we can have peace with all creation, so that we can even have peace with ourselves. And may we be reminded that the Spirit invites us this morning to not be defined by our darkness, but to know that the only way out of that darkness is through the light that is Jesus Christ. And as we stand and sing, may we accept the Spirit's invitation. May we expect the Spirit not only to move and to us to feel the Spirit, but to know that God's great love, God's great power is available today. I'd like to invite any pastors in the room up front as well. Um, if you have anything going on, we'd love to pray for you about it, whether it's this darkness, whether it's walking into the light, whether it's, it's really feeling and experience that love of Jesus, or anything else you got going on, we'd love to pray for you. But as we sing about God making a way, may we always hold on to our Jesus who is the way. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.
blessing to serve a God who's made a way. What a blessing to serve the miracle worker, the way maker. And as we celebrate, as we go out this week, may we be reminded that the way is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But may we also be reminded by Jesus' own words that God has made a way, yes. That Jesus has come as the light, yes. But God has left it to us. Jesus is physically in heaven. That's where he is. That's what he's doing. He's making perfect heaven for you. He's standing before the Father as the mediator for you. What's left behind for our world is the Holy Spirit and you, the church. So as you love, as you gift, as you bless, you can help be God's miracle, God's way maker for your world. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much that there is indeed nothing, nothing worth sharing more than the love that lets us share our name, the love that brings us back to Calvary to remember that, yes, sin is serious, but so is your love, that mercy is also accompanied by judgment, that when Jesus goes to the cross, he sees it as his exaltation. He sees it as a way to show his great love. He sees it as a way to defeat darkness forever. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you now that you died because of God's great love and power, that you died for not only us but the world, that you died and was raised again so that peace can come. So, Lord, help us now to be your light to the world. Help us now to be your love, your mercy, your grace, your compassion. Fill us up with love, mercy, grace, and compassion so it bubbles up out of us and into our world. God, help us to be the light. Help us to be the way that points to the way that is Jesus Christ. Help us to be the gifts that you've gifted us, the blessing that you've blessed us with, the love that you've given us to cherish, yes, but to also let pour out of us and into our world. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to remember how you saved us. It was by God's great love and God's great power. So Holy Spirit, let us live lives that are transformed, yes, but submitted to you in every single day and every single way. Father God, help us to live lives, yes, that are grateful for your love and resting in your presence, but also going out to live our love and show your love to our world. And Lord Jesus Christ, help us, teach us, mold us, make us, force us even, yes, to always keep our eyes on you, to look up and know salvation, to look up and know love, to look up and know light. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.